Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the... And there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold at ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for Indy Insider and the South Bend Tribune. We've been on a bit of a hiatus with us taking some vacation and a transition to a new website format, uh, but we're glad to be back with plenty of Notre Dame football and recruiting to talk about uh, here in June. The, the Irish added a grad transfer commitment from Marshall offensive lineman Kane Madden and a 2022 defensive tackle recruit Donovan, Donovan Heinisch uh, committed to Notre Dame last week as well. Uh, and now the Notre Dame staff is getting ready to start hosting official visitors for the first time since the 2019 season. So plenty to talk about, especially on the recruiting front. So we wanted to reach out to 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst Greg Biggins. Uh, Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Greg, I, I wanted to start with sort of the news of the day with the college ball playoff proposal for a 12-team format and sort of how that relates to recruiting. I think the hope of a deeper field, in my opinion – and I'm curious to see what the college football playoff committee folks say is that maybe it increases parity and that maybe the teams that are lower seeds in the bracket could get recruiting bumps from being in the playoff, even if they don't necessarily win it. Do you think that something like that would happen? Um, and I guess, for instance, like with Notre Dame, Notre Dame has made the playoff a couple of times now, although it hasn't fared well. But do you feel like Notre Dame has has benefited from from its college football playoff appearances? No, no doubt. And, and I think you talk to kids and you ask them, you know, hey, what do you like about a certain school? For example, Alabama, right? Now, that's probably not fair to, to throw them out there. But, you know, they're able to say, hey, we made the playoffs, what, eight of the last 10 years or whatnot. So I think it is one of those things, Final Four for basketball, um, e even Elite Eight for basketball, whatnot. So I think saying, hey, we're a playoff team, I, I, I do think maybe going from four to 12, I think there's a little bit of a water down factor, right? Because, I mean, 12 is, you know, but I do think, like, you know, we talked off air, I think it does help some of those teams. Um, maybe they're tied into a conference or, you know, shoot, like I said, using the basketball analogy again, you don't always see the top four teams, the number one seeds all make the final four, correct? So I, I think it does maybe kind of give, uh, you know, some teams that maybe lost a game in league and all of a sudden they're limited. I think it makes it more fun. Um, I, I would have preferred eight, but I think 12 is probably better than four. Greg, this um... – month feels like a playoff to me from a recruiting standpoint. Mm. I, I, you know, I hadn't really followed the nuances of recruiting 
until uh, maybe the last few months, even though I've been covering college football and recruiting big picture for years and years. Uh, you know, it's stunning to me that at least what Notre Dame has coming in this month in terms of talent and, and so forth. I, I'm just wondering, I mean, is this universal that you're seeing this everywhere with the Power Five schools that they're having these huge recruiting weekends? It is pretty universal. And, and honestly, I, I knew it was going to be kind of, you know, manic this month, but I don't think I thought it was going to be like this where, you know, it says Thursday and I'm still trying to just recover from this past weekend in terms of just tracking kids. And, and it's not just the, the weekend. It's like kids are coming in every day. Right. Um, yeah. You know, some schools are hosting camps. Some schools are hosting unofficial visitors. So you have the big visit weekend on a, on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but then you have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where kids are still flying in there and, and doing maybe a, a workout with a coach individually or a camp unofficial trips. I mean, it's every day someone's doing something. So, you know, trying to make up for lost time for sure. It, it's been wild and, and it's only like what, one weekend. So I can only imagine what the rest of the month's going to be like. It's, it's fun, but it's also uh, man. Yeah. It's, it's been crazy. Yeah. I think it's going to be a very long month for the coaches as well. Having to go through all this um, visits are happening for the first time. Like we mentioned since before the pandemic and a lot of people, I think a lot of kids, both in the 2022 class and 2023 class seems to have held off on commitments. I didn't feel like there's less commitments nationally than there normally is at this time. And, and probably because they wanted to wait for these official visits. I'm curious what you think of how soon kids will start making these decisions after these visits. Do you think kids will want to pull the trigger now, or maybe having waited so long, maybe they're, they're interested in drawing this out more maybe than they usually would. No, I mean, that's a great question. And, and I think one of our one of our guys that I, I work with, Bud Elliott, just did an article, I want to say two days ago on just, it's almost, uh, actually, I think I want to, I don't know the exact number, but it's whatever it was last year in terms of all the commitments, it's like half of that right now this year. So, you know, last year was wild. I think people knew that, you know, jump on a school, uh, kind of lock their spot in. I think this year with trips, uh, you know, kids want to want to see a couple schools first, right? You, you want to maybe go see and, and make sure that this is the right spot for you. I still thought there'd be more action. I thought we might see a lot of guys take one visit and kind of be one and done. Because mm -hmm. you, you see that in a normal year. They go to that one school. A lot of times they'll, they'll trip to their favorite school first. And if they love it, they'll lock their spot in. The 2022 class could be a small one, you know, kind of for some obvious reasons. Um, but so far, it's yeah, like you meant, it's been a little quiet, which is kind of surprising me. So my guess is probably it'll, it'll be more end of the month where maybe these kids are committed to taking at least two, if not three trips. And then at that time, maybe they'll do a, a little reevaluation and, and lock that spot in. But I, I've been a little surprised it's been this quiet so far in terms of commitments. Greg, Notre Dame has nine official visitors these, this weekend. I think that's the smallest number of their three big weekends. Um and a lot of those guys are in the western part of the United States. Anthony Lucas, Tobias Merriweather, uh, let's see, Jake Taylor, Junior Tuli Halamaka. I'm 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 whiffing on his first name. I can't say it. That was good. Okay. Niafe. Niafe. And I think that's it. But they have C.J. Williams coming in a little bit later in the month. Yep. I'm wondering how many of those guys you've seen and who's really impressed you among those groups you know, the Western kids that Notre Dame's looking at. Gavin Sawchuk, I think, is from Colorado. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering of those West Western kids, who's who's jumped out at you? I mean, honestly, I, I love them all. I think it's a great group. 
uh, Lucas is is in the it's a really good D tackle year in 2022. I think Lucas is a top three, top four D tackle, which any other year you're talking maybe he's the number one, number two guy. I think he's a legitimate top 25 player nationally. Uh, I'm a big track guy and, and saw check is one of the fastest kids in the country, um, but it's he's not a track guy. He's a legit football player. He's got some wiggle and toughness to him. Uh, obviously, I'm an Orange County guy. I've seen CJ Williams a million times. Uh, I think he's his game. Kind of, uh, you know, if you're looking for a comp, everyone likes to have those player comps. He's got a little Juju Smith feel to him. He's not a burner, um, but he's a physical receiver, uses his body really well. He's 6'2", he's strong, uh, strong hands. I, I would say his best days are ahead of him. He's now running track to kind of increase his burst. Uh, I think they're in a good spot with Niafe. Uh, we call him Junior. That's what – so just let's – Make it easy for all of us, right? Um, I think Notre Dame's in a good spot for him. He did love Texas. Uh, he tripped there last weekend and loved it there. But I still think if Notre Dame does what you know what they always do, kids don't ever come away from a trip saying that trip kind of sucked, right? No, they always love it. So I expect him to love Notre Dame, and his mom is big on academics. So I think they're I think they probably they're in a good spot with with CJ Williams also. Um, he just seems like a Notre Dame kind of kid. You know, some guys you kind of look at them, you, you, yeah, he's kind of a USC kind of kid, or he's more of a you know a Bama kid. CJ just looks like a Notre Dame kind of kid the way he's wired. And, you know, again, big academic guy, family loves the, the tradition and all that. So, um, no, man, it, it's a lot of, a lot of good football players. And I think Notre Dame is, is doing well with, with a lot of them. Uh, Tobias, another guy, 10, 900 meters. And he's, that's a legit six, three guy seen him a ton on the seven on seven circuit, uh, strong hands, big body, tough, physical, uh, can get deep. So he's got, you know, kind of has possession traits with some with some downfield speed to him. So overall, man, they got they got some dudes coming in. Greg, you mentioned CJ Williams from modern day. I think Notre Dame fans who follow recruiting closely get a little nervous when they hear that Notre Dame's in a good position with a kid from modern day because they haven't had <laughs> a lot of good recruiting success. It, it seems like those guys tend to stay out west. But what, why do you think Notre Dame has had struggles with that? Do you think there's some sort of pattern there or do and why do you think that maybe C.J. Williams could break that pattern? Yeah, no, I mean, I think obviously, you know, modern day has always kind of been a little bit of a USC feeder school, right? You know, right. you can look at all the schools and I think there's, you know, it probably starts. I don't think he does a lot of recruiting, but modern day's head coach, Bruce Rollinson, is a former USC alum. And it's kind of you get one guy and two guys from the same school. You start to develop a little bit of a pipeline. I, I think C.J. is different, though. I, I think he does have a USC offer. He did visit there, I want to say, last week. Um, might even been the first day, June 1st, unofficially. But again, just the way he's kind of wired, you talk to him for five minutes and he's just the things that he values and just kind of his, how do I say it? Um, his makeup, I guess. He just seems like a Notre Dame slash Stanford kind of a kid, high academic kid, um, high character kid. And I'm not saying you can't be high character and go to USC because people were probably like to twist stuff around and, and be a little bit weird, right? But I mean, CJ just he always says, you know, he always says that's the school that's recruiting him the hardest. He really likes the wide receiver coach quite a bit. He wants to go get, get developed. And I, I think as of right now, as of today, you know, I'd be a little surprised if it's not Notre Dame. Well, I'm sure Notre Dame fans are excited to hear that. You also mentioned Tobias Merriweather. I'm curious, what's your comparison between those two guys? I mean, I, I think Notre Dame would love to have both of them. But how similar of wide receiver prospects would you say those two are? 
I mean, I think they are similar, honestly. Neither, again, neither one, and people will take this, you know, wrong. I, I don't think either one of them is a burner. Um, now, saying that, they're not slow either. Like, especially Tobias, I want to say just went 10 9 2. You're going 10 9 2 as a 200 plus pound 60 receiver. You, that's, you can run, right? His sister runs track at, I want to say, Oklahoma. Dad is a track coach. So he's got some burst to him. Uh, CJ's more of a little, little bit more of a long strider. Uh, he runs the 200 and the 400 meters for modern day. So, I think they're comparable in the sense of both really strong hands, uh, strong bodies. Um, I give Tobias a little bit of an edge in terms of maybe just burst and quickness. I give CJ maybe a little edge, and I think he's a little more polished, um, maybe a little bit more burst in and out of his breaks. Tobias, more straight line speed, um, both tough, competitive kids. But I, I, do, I do think they're, they're, they're more similar than they are different. And if you're a Notre Dame fan, you, you might be saying, well, don't we need maybe one guy who's more in that 5'10", 5'11", that can go 4'3", a little stretch to the field, a little more run after the catch. Um, and I, I don't disagree with that. But I think if you can get these two guys, you're, you're doing your high five and someone next to you. I mean, they're both really, really good. Top 200, top 200 players, no doubt about it. Greg, since you're out West, I want to ask you about two kids that are already on Notre Dame's roster in their freshman class. One early enrollee, Tyler Buckner, and then also Chance Tucker, a cornerback who got his senior season, what, five or six games this spring. Just your impression of those two guys. So love Tyler. Um, probably one of the more difficult guys for me to personally evaluate honestly, in my 25 plus years of doing this, because you watch the tape and you can make an argument. And, and I've seen, I mean, you can name a name, especially out West. Um, I, I've probably seen him. Tyler has some of the best film you'll ever see. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's almost like a, a grown man playing with a bunch of five-year-olds, the way he's running around off platform throws, extending plays, dynamite in his elbow, man. He, he's got some serious juice to him the way he throws it, but he's, he's probably best when he's kind of breaking, breaking the pocket, breaking containment, running around. I mean, he looks like a bigger, uh, stronger Johnny Manziel at the high school level. So you watch the tape and you're like, wow. But the problem is the, the competition he's playing against is basically a step up from eight man football. Um, his school used to be in an eight man football league. So you, you, and he only got to play one season. That's another thing I knew about him as an eighth grader. He got his first offer at a UCLA camp that I was at. And he was known as an elite lacrosse player, which again, if you follow our rankings at all, man, we're big on multi-sport athletes. We're big on track. We're big on big guys wrestling. We're big on skill guys doing, you know, skill sports. And I love the fact that he's a lacrosse player. It just shows athleticism. It shows that he's got some functional athleticism to him. So he, it just, I would have loved to have seen him get a senior year because he transferred into Helix, which is the top, top league in San Diego. Really, really one of the, one of the state's power programs and, you know, freshman year didn't play much. Sophomore year, literally tore his ACL the first drive of the first game of the year. So you're seeing the skill, uh, but you want him to get more reps. And so for me, then obviously everyone knows about, elite, you know, Elite 11, a little bit of a struggle, right? Didn't have a great showing there. And then didn't get to play a senior year. So you love the physical tools. You love the body. You love character check, leadership check, athleticism check, arm strength check. Checks everything. You just want him to have more game experience against high-level competition, and we kind of missed out on that, unfortunately. Um, as for Chance, kind of a late bloomer, another guy, you know, track guy, um, but, again, a football player, not a track guy that's trying to play football. He's a football guy first, but he can run. He's a high-level athlete, real thin, 
Um, plenty of room to grow into his body, which I like. I don't want guys already peaked in high school, right? So he's got plenty of room to grow into his body, long arms, quick feet. Uh, the toughness is there. Uh, I think he's got a chance to be a really good corner. I think Notre Dame got on him early. A few other schools kind of jumped in, but Notre Dame did a great job really connecting with him. He loved his visit unofficially last year. And again, I, for me, he's probably a redshirt year guy. Um, now I, I haven't followed up. Maybe you guys are saying, no, he's playing right now. He killed it in, in camp. I, maybe you, you know, you guys can enlighten me, but coming out of high school, I'll say, I thought he might be, you know, uh, give him a redshirt year to get bigger, stronger, uh, and just maybe learn a little bit more. But physically, I mean, he's got some traits that you really, really like in terms of just his frame and athleticism. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what where he kind of slates in here as he gets going in the summer. I I don't think they're necessarily pushing for him to uh, get playing time early, but they have they have a lot of inexperience at the cornerback position, so it's kind of anybody's job that can sort of step up and prove themselves. Speaking speaking of cornerbacks, they have a cornerback from California committed to the twenty twenty two class and Jaden Mickey. What do you think of his uh, fit in Notre Dame's defense? Love it. Yeah, I, I love it. Big, big fan of Jaden. Uh, another guy, and a guy, I probably sound redundant, but, you know, he's running track. And I, I when I talk to kids, man, I, I push track. I, everyone out here, I don't, they love their seven-on-seven seven football, which I think there is value in that. I'm like, dude, kids from California just don't know how to run. They just, you look at some of the guys in Texas and Florida, and I think a bigger reason, a little tangent for me here, a bigger reason why you kind of maybe seen California falling off a little bit is because we don't have the same kind of high level athletes that we used to. When I first started, everybody who played football ran track. And so um, Mickey has, has run some really good times. I was maybe my only, not a question mark, but I wanted to know, just know how explosive he is as an athlete. Um, he's extremely tough. He plays for one of the top programs in the, not just the state of California, but Centennial is a national power. And this is a tough kid. He's got an edge to him. He plays angry. One of those guys you'd love to have on your team, hate to play against. Got a little bit of a chip to him, right? I mean, this is the same school that produced Vontez Perfect. So he comes from that same kind of, you know, mentality of, you know, we're going to play through the whistle, very aggressive corner. He's got a good frame, quick feet. I just want to know about his top end speed. And he's going to answer that with a couple of sub 11, uh, a couple of sub uh, 11 flat 100 meter times. He's getting faster, quicker. He's growing. He's not done growing yet into his body. He's got good ball skills, extremely smart, very rangy. He could easily move to safety if you wanted him to, but I think he loves corner. And for me, I, I think he's he's a dude. I mean, and that, that's about the best thing I can say about a guy, man. He is a dude. He checks off, again, everything you want to see in the, ne the next level corner. I think he's a national recruit. I was kind of surprised he didn't have, you know, some of the bigger SEC offers that you see from some kids out here. I think he's a steal for Notre Dame. It's kind of hard to call him a steal because I think we have him in the top 200, but he's a really good football player. Greg, um, it seemed like, you know, there were a lot of stories written before the pandemic about California kids really being transient and leaving the state and mm -hmm. USC and USCLA maybe not getting the better California kids. Then the pandemic hits, and then it seemed like a lot of them wanted to stay home. Are we seeing more movement with California kids being willing to look elsewhere, even way far away from home again. Yeah, I, I don't think California kids have an issue with leaving home, honestly. Right now, UCLA is a little bit down, and, and the way they recruit, that could be a whole show in itself, but they recruit a little differently in terms of going after the top kids. Um, USC kind of went through a little bit of a lull 
Uh, they brought in some new defensive coaches, especially Dante Williams is the name I'll throw out, really aggressive recruiter, and they bounced back last year and had a good class. I think partly, and you mentioned the pandemic, I think that did help them a little bit. You know, I think some, some families were a little bit freaked out and wanted their kids to be closer to home. But I think that the, the bigger issue here with those two schools and just the Pac-12 in general, keeping California kids out West is just football's been a little bit down. And before kids would go to SC, UCLA, no matter what, it was kind of like, I'm going there. I don't care what the record, I don't care who the coach is. But now I think there's been, um, whatever it is, I think kids are more willing to leave. I think they're more willing to go take some unofficial trips and, and they're seeing maybe kids develop better. They're watching the NFL draft and they're seeing kids from other con- uh, seeing conferences um, like the SEC, uh, like the Big 12. Um, you know, they're just producing more NFL players. Notre Dame always does a great job of that, always recruits California really well. So I think it, partly it's, it's a bigger stage. It's college football playoff. It's NFL draft. It's development. And kids, literally, I've had so many kids tell me, I feel like if I want to get developed, I need to leave home. And, and that's what they're telling me. So when USC is a little bit down and UCLA is a little bit down, uh, it, kids aren't going there just because it's SC and UCLA now. So I think, yeah, pandemic was a one-year deal, but I, I think it goes bigger than that. And so this year I'm, I'm kind of watching closely to see what some of these top guys do. Greg, recruiting is always a looking forward business. Everyone wants to know the next big thing, who the next big thing is, who's the next commit. But I, I, sometimes I enjoy like looking back on how things played out. I'm, I'm curious now that Ian Book's college career wrapped up, how did you see his, how would you compare how his career played out versus how you evaluated him as a high school quarterback? Oh, you're going to make me look bad right now, right? <laughs> I did not, honestly, I did not see him as an NFL draftable. Was, did he go third or fourth round? Fourth. Fourth? I mean, I thought he was a gamer. I thought he was really tough, um, smart. I didn't see a high level. I, I, I didn't see a lot of high level physical tools that translated to being an NFL guy. I thought he'd win a lot of games. Obviously, when we do our rankings, it's a, the NFL draft is the measuring stick. So I, I thought he had a chance. I mean, he was he's always been a winner. I thought he'd go win games in college. I just for me, Notre Dame, like you're recruiting like Aaron Rodgers types, right? And so when they signed Ian, I was like, okay, you know, I, we'll we'll see how that works out. Again, really good high school player, but is he going to be elite enough to kind of beat out some of the other, you know, big time guys that Notre Dame's going to bring in? And is he going to be a two, three year starter? Is he going to go in the fourth round? I did not predict that at all. So he definitely um, outplayed my expectations. Good for him, right? I mean, it happens all the time. And I think, uh, you know, it, it comes, I think it always comes down to like your makeup, your toughness, your, your competitiveness. Whenever we miss on a five star, it's never because they're not talented. It's because of other stuff. They don't really love football. Um, they're not tough. Um, maybe some bad luck with injuries. Maybe it's just, you know, off the field stuff that kind of got in the way. And then when you kind of miss on on three stars who go over and who kind of outplay their expectations, it's, it's because, you know, they have such high level grit and toughness and compete level and they just want to be good and they're just grinders. And I think that all that kind of describes Ian, man, he's always been that gym rat who just competes so hard. And, you know, again, might not have, you know, the biggest physical gifts in terms of arm strength, athleticism, the most beautiful mechanics, but credit him for just being a worker and a winner and a leader and being tough and competitive. And, and yeah, I mean, shoot, man, he, uh, you know, God bless the guy. He, he did it. 
Uh, to be fair to you, I, I, you were not the only one in that camp. So let's not say that you were the only one that didn't think he would necessarily be an NFL. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know that if their name's coaching staff at the time they were recruiting him would have predicted that he would end up being a three-year starter and the, have the most wins in Notre Dame quarterback history. So uh, it was quite the quite the surpassing of expectations for Ian Book at Notre Dame. Yeah, it, he surprised a lot of us. I, I'm in that camp. I I wasn't sure at the beginning of this year that he was a draftable prospect still. And then he really took it up another level this year. Um, Greg, you know, there's the talk in this part of the country is Brian Kelly's kind of edict from about a year and a half ago of saying, hey, we need to start being consistently in the top five and recruiting. And then since then it's been, how do they get there? How do they consistently do that? I'm wondering what you think of Notre Dame's potential to be a top five recruiting team. What you think of Brian Kelly personally as a recruiter? First off, I, I loved when he said that. I mean, that was a, a nice topic in our little group chat because I mean, you really don't hear many coaches who ever acknowledge rankings, right? They all do it privately. It's, I'll hear a coach constantly say, oh, we, don't, we don't read that stuff. We don't care. But then yet they're texting us and, hey, can my guy get rated higher? I mean, they all have these performance bonuses, right? Every assistant coach has these bonuses based on recruiting. So I, I laugh and they say, oh, we don't, we don't care about that kind of thing. So when you, to hear, you know, a guy like Brian Kelly, Notre Dame, you know, saying, hey, we need to be a top five. I thought that was, you know, very transparent. Obviously, it's tough because it's not a level. Let's just be real. It's not a level playing field for certain teams. Um, academically, Notre Dame will never be able to get a lot of the same guys that you see. I'm not going to name school, so I don't want to get that hate mail. But we all know, you know, there's certain schools out there that can take a kid that Notre Dame can't take. Uh, so you have to be really, really good with your evaluations. And you just have to really be grinders when it comes to recruiting. Because, you know, although there is players in the Midwest, a lot of great players, Notre Dame recruits nationally. They're going into California. They're going into Texas, Florida. They're, they're all over the map. And so they don't have that home court advantage. So you need to have a staff that, number one, that loves to recruit, that really loves to connect, that loves to engage, that can sell yourself to both kids and parents. Um, all throughout, you know, the H-word handlers out here, we have a, quite a few of those. So you have to be engaging to kind of all three. There is a lot, lot to sell, right? There's tradition. There's the, you know, still it's, it's TV. It's um, your, your playoff every year. You're competitive. You play a national schedule. There's a lot to sell. But saying that, it, it's still – it's always going to be hard to kind of compete with schools that you see in the top four, top five every year. Your Alabamas, uh, your Ohio States, um, you know, your LSUs, your Georgias. It's going to be hard. So, and, and if I'm Notre Dame, I don't think Notre Dame needs to be a top five. I, I think if you're top ten, you know, that's plenty. Because unlike basketball, football, it's all about development, right? You don't see one and dones in football. So, if, if you're in the top ten and you're getting great players – uh, you got to trust your eyes and then just trust that you have these kids for three to four years. Just say, Hey, we're going to outcoach them. We're going to develop these guys better. And, and we're going to be a consistent playoff team. I think you can do that at Notre Dame, be a consistent top 10. I don't think you need to be a top four, top five. You can be a consistent top 10 because your talent pool that you can recruit from the smaller. I think still that you can recruit top 10 level talent, coach them, develop them. And you can be a perennial playoff team with no issues at all. All right, Greg, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking some of your time, and uh, hopefully you, you can take a deep breath and get ready for another big recruiting weekend. <laughs> no, man, I'm excited. I'll be in Future 50 this weekend in Florida, so I'll be trying to track it from my phone. But, uh, no, always good talking with you guys, man. Thanks for having me. All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? 
This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets. First one I have for us, Eric, is which of the 13 freshmen moving on to campus this weekend will play in the most games this season? Well, if it's if that counts special teams, I think Audric Estime and Prince Collie are going to be at the front of that line. If we're talking, you know, their position, I think Kari G probably has the best chance of seeing reps at his particular position. And not that he wouldn't play special teams too. Um, you know, maybe Colsey, because of you've, you've had a few wide receivers leave the roster, you know, maybe Josh Bryan kicks off and gives, uh, you know, uh, the other kicker a break. Jonathan, Jonathan Doerr. Jonathan Doerr a break and just let him place kick. Uh, but but those would be the two that I would I would see playing every game on special teams and multiple special teams. Yeah, I, I, I would count special teams in, into this equation. I'm not sure that there's an obvious way to go here. I think there are a few choices that I could convince myself into making. Um, but to me, I, I, I'm probably just going to – I'm going to go with Prince Collie just because I think he's the most talented. Um, I, I'm not sure that he gets involved with the defense necessarily very much. Um, there are a lot of linebackers that uh, are willing to – are in position to play a lot. So um, we'll see if he gets involved there. But I, I imagine he's going to be a special teams guy and, and be a guy that they want to use and probably not a guy that they're worried about trying to redshirt because if he's as good as we think he is, I don't know that he would be a guy that would be around here for five years. So um, I, I will go with Prince Colley for my pick. Uh, next one is uh, taking a little bit from a, a tweet that uh, – at the underscore jack attack sent uh, as one of the questions. So I, I turned it into a prop bet a little bit. So the prop bet I made was over under 13 freshmen who won't redshirt this season. I'm going to go just under, I, you know, I kind of went through the roster and there's a lot of guys that I'm saying, maybe, maybe not, right. but I don't, I don't think they're going to push. You know, again, I think Kari G, Estime, Colsey, Kali, Ro we know Rocco is going to play and and Fisher, although you know, Rocco may or may not start now, but I still think they're going to work him into as many games as they can. I mean, that's a guy that's not going to stick around for five years. But, you, you, just, you know, T Tyler Buckner, I think, has to play. And I don't think they're going to try to restrict it to four games if they can work him in. But I just think there's guys like, you know, Barnes and Jojo Johnson and Rubio that they're not going to want to push it past four games, that they're going to be fine just letting them get those four games in red shirts. So I say just under. Yeah, I, I'm going with under as well. I think there's a good shot that the number gets close to 13, like you mentioned, that there's a lot of guys that could – go over the four game mark. Uh, I'm curious how, how it sort of plays out, but I, if it goes past 13, I don't think it'll go a lot past 13. So I, I feel more comfortable with predicting under on that one. Next one is over under 20 receptions for Notre Dame's freshman receivers. I'm going to go under um, again. There's more um, opportunity for them, but you look at Lorenzo style. He's playing the position that Lawrence Keyes and Avery Davis play. And I think those guys are going to play a lot. Right. And, and then Colsey, I think there's, there's an opportunity there, but he's a, 
stacked behind Austin and, uh, you know, at least Kevin Austin and, and uh, Joe Wilkins. And then you look at Jaden Thomas, and I think he's the least ready of the three, and he has the clearest path to play. Uh, but they'd have to kind of move people around. I just don't think it's going to get over 20. Okay, I'm going to take the over. I don't necessarily feel great about it, but I, I just like both Lorenzo Styles and Deion Colsey. I like them a lot. As prospects. I just don't know if Brian Kelly likes them as much as we do. No, yeah, I don't know either. Um, but also, I mean, if we're being realistic, we got to – there's a very, a very good chance that some of these guys that we think are going to block their playing time could end up being hurt because they all, almost all of them have a history of, of being hurt. So that, that could open the door and there's just not, there's no, there's no room in the depth chart now, but between, between those guys and well, there is room. There's just not room full of, of, of bodies anymore uh, with, with Jordan Johnson and Jay Brunel no longer on the roster. I, I, I still like Xavier Watts as a prospect too. We didn't see him last year and we'll see if he gets in the mix more. Um, so I think there's there could be some opportunities for these younger receivers. So um, just for that possibility alone, I, I will go over. Um, maybe maybe they try, maybe they try to rotate those guys more, especially if those guys are. You're talking about guys that have injury histories. Maybe it's better to use them in a rotation more than to be could be your number one guys and always out there. So we'll see if maybe that's something that's possible that gets these guys. Well, at least when Book was the quarterback, it seemed like there was always an issue with him not having enough reps with the starters. And so that rotation would shrink. Right. And we always thought at the beginning, oh, well, they're going to go seven deep, and then there would be three guys. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get it. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's how it plays out, but uh, we will see. Uh, next question, will Kane Madden be drafted in the first four rounds of the 2022 NFL draft? Well, I think that's why he's coming to Notre Dame and given um, the competition he's going to play, given his – extremely high run blocking grade last year in addition to doing very well against the pass and, and being around Jeff Quinn and being around those, uh, you know, Patterson, Jared Patterson and, you know, with Quentin Nelson and McGlinchey coming back every once in a while and Aaron Taylor, you know, there's just such a high standard at Notre Dame. I think he's going to at least be a day two pick. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go with no. I think he has two things that aren't, going to work in his favor one being i don't i don't see that he has necessarily a ton of uh special athletic traits he doesn't have great size um and not that he can't be a, a good to great college offensive lineman but that may limit his ability to go in the first four rounds of the nfl draft i mean he can still get drafted after that and also i think it what may even hurt him even more is his age being he'll be 25 by the time he's in the nfl draft and teams do take that into account i mean that that impacts your 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 um your value because they don't know how long how many years they're gonna get out of you if you're if you're older. So I, I think those two things may play against him. I still think he can be a very valuable member of the offensive line um, as someone who gets after it and has a lot of experience and can be assignment correct. But um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I, I I imagine that's something he hopes and believes can happen, um, and we'll see if he can maybe overcome some of those things on paper that people would maybe hold against him. All right, last one is Will Nico Cavadas, the slugger on the Notre Dame baseball team, hit a home run in the Super Regional against Mississippi State. Mississippi State has some really good swing and miss type pitchers, but I think Nico's going to get one in the Super Regional. I think he's on a tear right now. Yeah, I, I think it's it's too hard to go against Nico at the at the at the way he was playing last weekend. 
Um, he's now the school record holder with 21 home runs. Um, so it the it may Mississippi State may try to pitch around him and not give him too much stuff to hit. So that may play against him. I I think it w- they would probably be wise to try and do that. But um, we will see how that plays out. It's going to be a, an interesting. Uh, weekend to the Irish. And I know Eric is looking forward to covering some more college baseball. Absolutely. All right. Now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at T James NDI and Eric's at E Hanson NDI. First one I have for us is from Marie Biafore. Now that Jay Brunel is transferring, do you think Notre Dame will increase the number of wide receivers it takes? What is the top number they will take? And of those they are currently recruiting, who would you want the most? Yeah, I do think that they'll think about adding another receiver. They had a Morian Walker, and I thought they would probably take three. And if maybe a commitment fell through at a different position group, they might be able to squeeze uh, four, I think they'll definitely take four now. And they have Amorian Walker, and then they have um, three kids scheduled for visits that are pretty good um, wide receivers and CJ Williams, Tobias Merriweather, and Nicholas Anderson. And there's a young man that came to the Irish Invasion Camp. He's from Medicine Hat, Alberta, Canada. Um, he goes to high school in Massachusetts. His name is Alec Iomainar, and I just butchered that. I listened to him say it earlier, and I forgot forgot it in that time. <laughs> his first name is Alec, and I think there's some comparisons to a little bit smaller Chase Claypool, just because he is from Canada. But the um, the Notre Dame coaching staff's really impressed with him, and I think he's got a convertible offer. So if he comes back for an official visit, I mean, maybe you could get up to five um, if you really stretched it, but I definitely think they're going to at least take four. Yeah, I think it has to increase the number of wide receivers that their name tries to sign. Um, I think trying to guess those numbers can sometimes be dangerous and hard to pin down, but it seems like four would be a good starting point, in my opinion. Um in terms of who's the most important, I think C.J. Williams has always been the most important target, in my opinion. Um, and that was probably regardless of position. So, obviously, at the wide receiver position, I would think he would be the most important. Uh, it seems like there may not be as big of a difference between Tobias Merriweather and C.J. Williams as maybe I had thought. Now, I, I won't pretend that I'm experts on their their t- skill levels, but from Greg Biggins's review, it, it might not be that big of a difference. So, Maybe you would be. It wouldn't be the end of the world if you missed out on C.J. Williams, but got Tobias Merriweather. So um, there's definitely some options out there. Um, Notre Dame has a lot of work to do still to get those guys in the class, but um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be panicking quite yet. Uh, next question is from at Do Carroll one with Jay Brunel in the transfer portal. Does Notre Dame need to get a wide receiver from the portal before fall camp, if not sooner? I don't know that it's a horrible idea because you, if you're only going to keep them for one year, then you would get that scholarship back for the next recruiting class. Um, But how is that receiver going to fit in? I mean, Jay Brunel didn't figure to play much, if at all, anyways. 
So are you just kind of guarding against a senior class that's pretty injury prone? Um, I, I think I think I would consider it, but again, you're running out of time uh, too to to bring somebody in that could to could, could ignite with the team. You're starting school next week. My thought is that if you really got into a pinch, you could put Chris Tyree in the slot and maybe yeah. move somebody else around and then kind of cover your body numbers there in case you did have a run of injuries. Yeah, kind of like we talked about earlier in the prop bet section, I just think that they're, they have enough guys. that They're, they're maybe relying if, – if the depth at the top doesn't hold up, they may have to dip into Xavier Watts or the freshman more um, than maybe you would like to. Um, but I think those guys are talented enough. So I think um, there's probably a chance we see some more Matt Salerno than people probably would have ever anticipated, and I'm sure that will be greeted by groans from fans. But it seems like he's made plays in practice, so maybe he um, can add something in, in, a, in a pinch. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think that they will go to the portal because it, it's more, the, the wide receiver issue is more of a long-term issue than it is a short-term issue. Now, maybe – I mean, in the rare occasion they can find a, a natural transfer, not a grad transfer. Um, that's, I, I, that isn't a norm for Notre Dame, so maybe there would be a fit there. Maybe there's a young receiver in the transfer portal that can make sense, but um, the odds of that would be seemingly low based on past practices. But obviously things are changing with the transfer portal world, um, so maybe that maybe there is an opportunity there. But I think the pool of candidates would probably be pretty small for something like that to work out. And with that, they they definitely are limited to July 1st. Once they hit July 1st, that player has to sit out. Right. So you, if you want to play immediately, you have to be on the roster by July 1st. Right. Uh, next one we have is from Wayne Oosteroff. Uh, with the transfer of Jay Burnell, lots of Jay Burnell questions at the top here. <laughs> How does this really affect the depth chart, knowing he probably wasn't going to see the field much this season? I think we've pretty much t- covered that. If there's anything else you want to add on that. And then the second question you had thoughts on any more bat signals this month with all the campus visits going on. Yeah, I, I would be stunned if there weren't bat signals. Now, again, some of these guys have an attachment to a particular day, their parents anniversary or a parent's birthday or their birthday. And so they may tell the coaching staff they're coming and then not make a public announcement until a few days or a few weeks later, but I would be stunned if we didn't see lots of bat signals and lots of Tyler and I getting ready to walk out the door to do something and having to come back in and write <laughs> up a recruit committing. Yeah. Uh, what, what, it, when you say lots, what ballpark that, what, what, what do you, what would you, what seems reasonable to you? You're talking like five by, by like- when by July 4th. Yeah, but yeah, but sure. Yeah, let's say like by yeah by the holiday, I would say five is reasonable. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, think, I think by the end of July, it's going to be more than that. I think they're going to f- almost finish their class this summer. Okay. I think kids are itching to to commit once they've taken their visits because you're jamming them in June, so they're going to see the schools they want to see, and they're they're like, you know what? I know where I'm going. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm still not 100% sold on that. I mean, there's still a lot of these kids won't have experienced games at these places. So I, I feel like that's a big part of it. Now, maybe 
kids won't care about that. Maybe they just want to commit. But I, I think that there's an opportunity for and maybe it might be more difficult for Notre Dame if a kid's already used his official visit and he's from California. It's not very likely that he's going to be able to come back out for an official for an unofficial visit for a game. But I think the guys that are more Midwest based, um, I think they could maybe be more interested in maybe holding off until getting back for a game and experiencing that. Now, maybe some of these guys have been to games because um, some of these guys do take recruiting visits pretty early on, but um, I'm, I'm not convinced yet that there's going to be a huge rush on guys. I think, I think there are going to be a few guys that Notre Dame is basically leading for already, and this is going to seal, seal the deal for. Um, but I, I think that getting like above five, um, or even like getting to finishing the class by the end of July. I'm a little skeptical about that, but I, I'll admit to not necessarily having a pulse on all these kids. I don't have relationships with these guys like I used to when I would cover recruiting. So that's just maybe, that's just more of past experiences covering recruiting rather than like insight to these specific players. Well, the one thing, Tyler, too, is there's just fewer recruiting spots because you have not necessarily a you know, big time power schools like power five schools like Notre Dame, you have a lot of super seniors and a lot of programs coming back and you have a lot of kids coming out of the portal. So there's not as many spots for these high school kids. And there's more of a squeeze and a more of a urgency, I think, for them to claim the spot so they don't miss out. Uh, I, I really I would be stunned if by July 4th there weren't five and I could probably go down the list and name them. Um, sure. Yeah. But I, I really do think it it's going to be, and I don't have, this isn't coming from the kids. This is more coming from the Tom Lemmings and the Steve Wilfongs of the world. Um, and just talking to some other people in the recruiting business, because um, I think the only recruit that I've really talked a lot to and really feel like I got to know was Drake Bowen, who's a 2023 kid. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think those kids will come to the games and so forth. They're coming to unofficials now. Right. And I think you'll see them, you know, come to games um, in the fall, come back for unofficials in the fall. Yeah. The 2023 class, there's very little. I, I don't haven't looked lately, but there was a time not long, very long ago where none of the kids that Notre Dame had offered in the 2023 class, and we're talking like 90 plus kids at that point had weren't committed at all. There was zero, zero commitments, verbal commitments to any schools. Um, so that there, there's definitely a delay there. And, and then maybe that is maybe the schools aren't pushing for that either because there's their scholarship chart two years down the road is even harder to sort of, sort of map out. So I think it's, a, it's going to be an interesting situation and certainly probably different than any other sort of recruiting, uh, event in the past so maybe that's maybe that's why I could be wrong because it's just not going to play out like it normally would because everything is so different uh next question we have is from at Andy Jeff 06 uh do we think Tommy Reese and company have had serious conversations about Kyle Hamilton playing offense also what does it say to Brian Kelly when your first round all-american safety recognizes that the wide receiver group is not where it should be and is calling out the offense publicly one more for Jeff is any real way to cut ties midsummer with Dell Alexander. Jeff is riled up. Okay, well let's let's kind of go backwards on those. Let's start with Kyle Hamilton calling out the offense or the wide receiver. So that's not what he's doing. Kyle Hamilton has wanted to play both ways since he walked on campus, not full time, but he's wanted to be 
uh, a part-time offensive player. That And he's good enough to be that. I mean, you're talking about a breathtaking athlete that's not the best wide receiver on the roster, but he's the best player on the roster and one of the best athletes on the roster. When he gets to his combine, he's going to put up some crazy numbers. Um, and as far as um, getting rid of Dell Alexander, I don't know why you would do that in the summertime, especially when you have three pretty elite wide receivers um, visiting this month who have relationships with them. And um, I, I just don't think that makes any sense. You know, I think people are upset that there's wide receivers transferring. Okay. You know, Micah Jones transferred to a FCS school. Uh, um, Abdurrahman transferred to Western Kentucky. Who else left besides you know, Jordan Johnson, Johnson went to UCF? And from what we hear kind of behind the scenes, it, it may work out for both sides. So, and then Jay Brunel, you know, I mean, he just wants to play, but this was a guy that wasn't playing. I mean, it's not like they're losing, you know, like uh, Kevin Austin and Braden Lindsay were saying, hey, I'm out of here. So, I mean, I think when, I think Dell is under the microscope, but I think you need to let the recruiting cycle play out. I think you need to let the season play out. I think that's in fairness to him. Um, and as far as going to Tommy Reese and, and saying he wants to play, Chip Long was talking about this when Kyle Hamilton came in as a freshman uh, of maybe wanting to work him into a few plays on the offense. So um, it just hasn't happened. Now, again, Kyle has had some injury problems, and maybe that's one reason not to use him on offense. And you have, you know, Michael Mayer, you ought to be able to get him more than two touchdowns in a season as as talented as he is in the red zone. Yeah, I, I think maybe I should have added some context. For, there's probably people that have no idea what we're talking about if they're not on Twitter regularly. But Kyle Hamilton, is, uh, I think it was yesterday, retweeted a meme suggesting uh, that Tommy Reese should play Kyle Hamilton on offense. Um, and so then Tommy responded to that, but like, Hey, we've been over this before, but it's up to Marcus Freeman. Uh, so I'm sure there's been discussions about it. I'm not sure exactly how serious, like, I don't know, like, I don't know how to like quantify that. Um, but I, I mean, the, the questioning here from Jeff seemed to be an extreme reaction to, um, in my opinion, I mean, I think you're right that Kyle is interested in playing wide receiver, but it's also like just classic locker room trash talk. Like guys talk like, a, a DB is going to say, I could be a better receiver than you against their teammates, just messing with them. Like it's, it, he's not like insulting them or like saying that our receivers are trash by saying that he wants to play some wide receiver. Like that, I, I don't read it that way. Um, I, I would be very surprised if that was Kyle Hamilton's intent or true message there. So I think that's a bit of an overreaction to, to that suggestion there. Uh, the Dell Alexander thing too, like uh, I, I agree with, I mean, they're not, the Jordan Johnson thing is the one that I'm sure obviously people are most upset about because he was a five-star recruit. Um, and uh, we'll see how he, the rest of his career pans out. And um, I think it's just, a, it was, it was a tough year for people to be a freshman on college campuses. So yeah. um, I, I think um, seeing that both Jordan Johnson and Jay Brunel left who were in completely different situations, like Jordan Johnson came to campus probably thinking he should play right away. 
and had reason to probably believe that given his recruiting ranking. Whereas Jay Brunel was a guy who was a three star that I think people may have questioned why Notre Dame went after him. Even, I mean, the people, there were questions of, okay, is this a kid that's worthy of playing at Notre Dame? Um, and he didn't have a good freshman year. Um, he started it in the spring last year, having surgery. And um, obviously everyone had to go through strange situations with the COVID situation. And um, it's just, it what playing college football wasn't as fun for people who weren't actually playing college football last year. Um, and so I think we have to take that into account. I, I, I have no reason to believe that Dell Alexander is the reason that um, Jay Brunel left Notre Dame. I think it could have been any wide receiver coach with how, how the season played out and the year played out that he would probably be considering going somewhere else. So I think I, I understand that the hole in the depth chart is concerning and it, is in part Dell Alexander's fault. He could have recruited better, um, recruited more numbers. Obviously, like a guy like Cam Hart, I mean, is that his fault? Like that they wanted, they switched his positions because their cornerbacks are in a much more worse shape than their wide receivers are. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, uh, so I like this freshman class that they recruited. Um, I, I really like Deion Colsey and uh, Lorenzo Styles Jr. And then Jaden Thomas is a four star on Rivals as well. So, um, he did baseball. who plays baseball and, and he did a good job there. He has a chance to do a good job in this recruiting cycle. If he doesn't, I mean, that's fair to criticize him that they need to get better wide receiver recruits, but um, like doing something like firing him midsummer seems, seems a little, little absurd. And uh, I think, I just think that people bag on him more than is necessary. I, he doesn't get enough credit for the work that he did with miles Boykin and chase Claypool and even Javon McKinley, because those guys played, Really well, especially Miles Boykin and Javon McKinley, better than anyone anticipated them playing at, the, at that point of their careers. And I think a lot of that credit goes to Del, Del Alexander for that. All right, next question from Joe Esquire at Sad Irish Fan 13. If the projected line is Fisher at left tackle, Patterson at left guard, Corella at center, Madden at right guard, and Lug at right tackle, are the doomsday offensive line predictions overstated? Also, what lineman nicknames do you and Eric like besides Dump Truck? Um, I don't know that it's going to end up being that configuration, although it very well could be. And you may flip the um, the guards around. The, the big question, again, having to talk to Brian Kelly on Monday, is what's going to happen with Patterson? You know, they could still kick him out to ta- one of the tackle spots and push – Josh Lug, I suppose, inside. You could also put him back at center, which is what Brian Kelly told me was his best position, and play Zeke Corella to guard or have him fight it out with Rocco Spindler to be that fifth lineman. And so, but but the gist of your question was adding Keen Madden, does this make the line better? And you certainly are. I think a ta- more talented line in a more experienced line, but you're still going to have to work on chemistry. Um, and that's not going to happen until, you know, Patterson gets with his guys, which is going to be this summer. You know, he wasn't able to do that in the spring. Right. You know, Madden's going to be on campus. I believe he arrives tomorrow. Uh, he's going to be in school this week. And so those guys are going to be able to start to work on chemistry but the very first thing they kind of have to figure out is who's going to line up where as they work on that over the summer. So 
I, I don't think the doomsday um, predictions was ever again a talent thing as much as I think people gasped that two freshmen might start and thought that would not be a good thing. Yeah, the, any doomsday predictions were overstated. Well, even before Kane Madden joined uh, Notre Dame's roster, uh, and it's always been it, to me. It's always been a question of just the unknowns of having a lot of talent but unproven talent, and who's going to line up where. And just not having a great sense for that because Notre Dame doesn't have that figured out yet, and we we weren't able to watch it. Um, so I, I I don't think that the offensive line will be as good as they were last year, but I don't think they're going to be a weakness on this team, um, which would be a doomsday scenario. So um, I I'm still not 100 uh, percent convinced that playing Patterson at guard makes sense. Um, I thought it's funny when people seemed like surprised that Brian Kelly would say his best position is center where. He obviously has had uh, success playing at a high level at that position. That's where his experience is. So I think it's an easy answer to say that. Now, maybe he could be a better tackle, but he would have to prove that before you would say his best position is tackle. Um, so I, I think that uh, I, I just don't I, – I, I'm not – I haven't totally bought into the idea of, okay, if Patterson isn't playing tackle where you felt like you ne- needed him most – then why would you move him at all? I feel like just put him at put him at center if that's his best position, and then figure out a, a guard situation, whether it's Zeke Carell or there's another guard that you like, um, whether it's Rocco or, or another person. Um, that to me that that just makes more sense in my head. Now, obviously, like I said, we haven't seen these guys play out, and obviously Jared Patterson's been hurt, so it's it's hard to see see what he's like and if, if what he would look like at guard and what he would look like at tackle. So um, they 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 do have the misfortune of not getting to experiment with Jarrett Patterson at those different positions in the spring, um, especially as a guy that you thought you were going to move around and now you're not really sure where you want to move him around to. So um, there's still going to be a lot to figure out in, in the, in camp. As for lineman nicknames, um, I always like the nicknames that are, that aren't accurate. Like when you call an offensive lineman tiny or like a <laughs> skinny or something like that, I think those are funny. Any sort of uh, mauling nickname. I'm not a huge fan of dump truck. I, I'm not. I don't know about that one. Uh, like uh, maybe uh, like bash or smash, something like that. Sim- simple names. I, I, dump truck. I can take it or leave it. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on dump truck? I can take it or leave it. I you know the one I came up with was inadvertent. I wasn't caffeinated enough, and I said. Uh, Block and Rako for Blake. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good nickname. One, too. one thing I wanted to go back to on Patterson, I, I wasn't shocked by Brian's answer, but I remember talking to Chip Long about Patterson, the spring that Patterson moved to center, and he had worked at left tackle, at backup left tackle as a true freshman, right? And Long raved about him there, and so. That's why when they moved him to center, you know, it was because he was one of the best five linemen and they already had, you know, um, established starters at the tackle spots. Um, And so, and, and Patterson was not supposed to be a shoe. That was supposed to be an experiment. And he just, was so good from the first day. It's like, why would we try anybody else here? Um, but him at guard seems, I don't know, seems odd. It seems like you're kind of wasting him there. 
if his best position is center, then why isn't Zeke Correll moving? You know, if Patterson's right. better better center than Zeke Correll, then why isn't Zeke Correll the guard? Right. Don't you yeah. agree? No, I, I yeah, I agree. Yeah, no. Why why would you make your? I mean, in theory, you're making your center position worse. Yeah. And you're putting Patterson in a position where he's not playing at his best. So I mean, he might he might still end up being your best guard option, but he's not playing to his. If if he's truly at his best position at center, he's not maximizing his potential by playing guard. So it, it seems like a center maybe, no. guard guard is his third least valuable contribution to that team. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's that's my thought. Exactly. I, now maybe they don't think they can play Zeke Corella guard, and they don't feel like there's another guard on the roster that they feel comfortable with. I would still. I I think I would probably rather play Luggett guard and and play Patterson at tackle if I, if if I, if you put a gun to my head. But I I think. Uh, um, <laughs> I won't do that. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, we 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 it, it's going to be fascinating. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what how things play out and uh, the explanations of why the guys land in the positions that they do. All right. Next question is from at Coffee Dark Roast. Is Nana Osafo Mensa still hurt? Do you see the former four star making an impact this season? Also, any additional transfers out of the program coming? I'm thinking some guys in the offensive line, especially after Madden's addition. Well, again, they're going to have to hurry up if they're going to transfer because summer school starts next week and they have a July 1st deadline and being able to play next year. And here's the thing when people ask me that question, and it's not a bad question. I think if I were a fan, I'd want to ask that question too. I just don't think it's fair to say that when you don't know for sure, when you're speculating about somebody transferring it's kind of like, well, who's going to be the next journalist laid off at the South Bend Tribune? <laughs> and, and and I just don't think it's fair to do it to a college kid. For a pro, if you want to speculate who's going to get cut, I right. think that's fair, but not for a college kid. Um, so what was the first part of that question? First part, it was completely opposite. Nana Osafo Mensa, is he hurt? Oh, yeah. You think he'll make it? Yeah. He's healthy now. Um, I don't expect him to be a big impact guy, but he's a guy that can make – a case for some playing time, maybe as the third rotation guy. I mean, they moved Myron Tagovailoa Mosa out to that position, that big end position. I think he's going to play a lot of reps. And then Justin Adam Malola is a really good player. So you've got two really productive guys there. If there were an injury, then that would give him an opportunity to move up. But I mean, he needs to practice well and he needs to play well in the, opportunities he gets because Myron's not going to be there next year. And, you know, maybe not Justin either, just depending on what his aspirations are. Yeah. He, Nana had a strip sack of Tyler Buckner in the blue gold game. Um, so coffee, dark roast, maybe missed that. Um, in terms of making an impact, I, I, he, he's at, at best, he's their third strong side defensive end, like you mentioned. So I, I think his opportunities will probably be limited. And I even think there's a. I mean, I'm interested in seeing if they move. They would move Isaiah Foskey around in like pass rush situations to the opposite defensive end spot. Um, and so I, I just think that the opportunities may be limited. Now, if he makes a lot of strides and can can earn a role, I think obviously on the defensive line more than any other position, they're willing to get guys in there. So um, it's. I think it's a matter of how he develops and continues to progress after missing some time last year with a with a knee injury. Um, in terms of the transfers out, yeah, I mean, I don't like naming the guys either. Um, 
I think in terms of like the offensive line, I mean, the only guys that that would make sense for is guys that felt like they were going to play this year. Um, and now they won't because of Kane Madden. Cause yeah, I mean, that's all, that's all that Kane Madden is, is impacting. And I don't know if there's a, there's not really a list of those guys. Like unless John Dirksen thought once Dylan Gibbons transferred that he was going to play and now he may not play because of Kane Madden. Um, but I, I don't know, like those would be the guys that are in that situation that you're talking about, but I have no idea that any of those guys would want to transfer. Um, I, I think that they're just in these situations um, and there's going to be competitions for those, for those spots that go into the fall, not, especially on the offensive line. Not, there's no givens right now, really. Uh, I think all those spots are still up for grabs. So I, I wouldn't think that the, the transfer in was, would, would be something that would, would scare guys away um, right now. And now maybe after the season guys, say, well, I don't see the light here, and maybe Rocco Spindler and Blake Fisher have great years. It's like, well, I'm never going to beat those guys out, and they're way younger than me. Now maybe it's time to get out of here. But um, I, I, I don't I don't see a, a wave of guys coming. Now, it, there could be guys – now, it doesn't make sense why guys transfer, like, in the middle of camp, but some guys do that. Like, they'll, they'll like, to learn their spots in, in fall camp and, like, say, hey, I'm not – I don't want to stick around for this this year. I'm not going to play. Um, and maybe they decide to get in the transfer portal then. But like you said, I mean, that by then they have to wait till next year to play anyway. So why not just stick around here? So I, I don't think we'll see. I would guess we're not going to see any more guys do that until, until then. Uh, next question is from Burt Leonard at Burt2834. If you could bring one non-quarterback slash Quentin Nelson player back from the Brian Kelly era to help the 2021 team, who would it be? Just off the top of my head, well, I'm, I mean, there's some – it would be easy to say a wide receiver. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. But I'm going to say – I'm going to have confidence in this wide receiver group, but I'm going to say Julian Love. I would bring him back a corner. All-American corner. Yeah. No, I think that's a good pick. I went with receiver. I went with Will Fuller just because I think he was so good. <laughs> um, and uh, – <laughs> I think I don't know that it matters which quarterback he got back there. Just sling it to Will Fuller and let him go after it. So uh, that would be my choice. But I think Julian Love is a good choice based on sort of position need. I, I do I do have some confidence that the wide receiver position is going to come through this year. But I, when you they don't have a Will Fuller that's going to be playing for them this year, um, no matter how well those guys play, at least in my opinion. So um, I think uh, uh, that would be my choice. Next question is from at Rich Marazzi. I've noticed that many of the ND media and bloggers are following slash discussing Arch Manning. Is he a realistic target? I just can't see him going anywhere but an SEC team. There was a an article in the Athletic Reel recently where the crux of the article was that he was wide open. And I know, and talking to Tom Lemming, who knows the Manning family, um, they reached out to Notre Dame and they said they were interested. Now, interested as far as, yeah, we'd like to see you as one of 10 or 12 schools is difference. There's a difference between that and right. you're one of our top two or three schools. So I think for now, it's realistic that he's a candidate. I don't think it would be realistic to count on him coming uh, I think you have to look at other really good quarterbacks and make some other offers, which Notre Dame has started to do. And uh, But I think if you're Notre Dame, you need to aim high at those kind of quarterbacks and you need to aim high early, which they were able to do in this cycle. Uh, you know, they were a little bit behind with the kid from California, uh, Malachi, 
um, Nelson, uh, and, and they lost any real chance at getting him to visit. I mean, he's pretty locked into Oklahoma, it seems now. Uh, but I think that's what you got to do. And that's what Tommy Reese is doing. He's looking at 2024s already and watching them throw and trying to get, form relationships with them. But I think, I think it's worth Notre Dame's time to be involved with this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if Rich is implying that the, we're make the reporters and bloggers are making too much out of Arch Manning, but Rich is now the third time we've been asked about Arch Manning on the podcast, and we don't get that many questions about specific recruits on our podcast. So the interest isn't just uh, at the reporter level. The fans are interested in too. Um, I think it's too early to say it's not realistic. Um, you have to make an effort and get him on campus um, and see where it goes from there. His father, Cooper, told our guy, Steve Wiltfong, at 24-7 Sports that Arch wants to make a Notre Dame and Ohio State trip possibly this month. I'm not sure if it's going to be able to happen in the short time frame that visits can happen this month. Um, so we'll see if that comes true or if they make it up to a game. I mean, the the benefit there is that I, I don't think the Manning family is, is short on money in terms of being able to afford to get a plane ride up to up to see Notre Dame if, if Arch can't make it this summer to get up for a game. So I think uh, it's just a matter of uh, them finding the time. It seems like there's interest there and uh, – up to Tommy Reese to try to convince him that he should be interested in Notre Dame beyond just like being intrigued by the possibility of being recruited by them. All right. Next question we have is from at Tom's Willer. He uh, actually submitted like a 12 team college football playoff model and asked if we agreed with where the teams were placed on. I, I say, well, let's just pass on the placement of the teams and focus more broadly on what's proposed because there is an actual proposal out there now since after Tom submitted this question. And that proposal, just to give a brief explanation for those uh, that may have not seen it yet, I imagine by the time you listen to this podcast, it'll be all over the place. Um, but it's a tw essentially a, the proposal is a 12-team field that includes the six highest-ranked conference champions and the six highest-ranked at-large teams. The top four seeds are the highest-ranked conference champs, and they would receive buys. Um, and that's something that Notre Dame and any other independent school could not qualify for. Then the other eight teams play opening round games with those being played on the campuses of the next four highest seeds. Um, and uh, I think those are the major points. What, what are your thoughts on this, Eric? And what, is, what do you think it means for Notre Dame? I, I think it's intriguing. I always kind of liked the 12 uh, team. I thought it was the right number. I think eight, really squeezes the opportunities for at-large teams if you were going to give the five power five conferences guaranteed access and then a group of five, then you're really down to two spots. And if you're Notre Dame, boy, that's a that's a tight squeeze. You know, right now they're all the top four spots, they're all at large spots. There's no guarantee for a conference champion to to make that field. And then with the uh 12 teams, then you have six places. So from Notre Dame's standpoint, I like it a lot. Now, people are going to wonder about two things. One is, does this get Notre Dame thinking more about joining a conference so they could get one of those four bi-week spots? No, it doesn't. Jack Swarbrick didn't say that directly. He talked around it a little bit um, today. But what he basically pointed out was that Notre Dame – doesn't have to put on the line, uh, you know, their spot on the line 
in a conference championship game. So it seems fair that they would have to do that in the first round of the playoff, that they right. wouldn't get a bye at that point. And having that bye after the, you know, regular season finale out on the West Coast is going to be a plus where they're going to go into the playoff a little bit fresher than some of the other teams that have to play the first week and don't get the bye. Right. So I I like this. I, I you know, once I heard Jack's thoughts about, you know, the fairness about that. The other thing is, you know, people are always worried about Notre Dame's got to go undefeated to make the playoff and because of the 12 versus 13 games. Well, now that's not an issue anymore. So yeah, you can play uh, eight games. Why not make an eight game schedule? Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I, I like the 12 team playoff. Um, I, I haven't found a negative in it yet. I, you know, the one question I think I would have asked was what pushed them from giving those four buy spots to the four bet highest ranked conference champions versus the four best teams. Um, but yeah. I know that there are people that really value conference championships. And I think that one out, and I think it was a nice compromise because it's not, they don't have to be power five, you know, Cincinnati is going to be a top 10 team this year. And Cincinnati could end up in one of those four spots with a buy. Um, and I think when they were applying last year's model to it, coastal Carolina would have made it into the playoff and Oregon would not have. Right. Yeah. There's a, I mean, it opens the possibility though. It's not exactly a huge one that there could be two, not power, non-power five conference champions that make the playoff that kind of boot out a conference, uh, a power five conference champ, which I mean, the, the odds of that happening are likely, but there are chances that that can happen. Um, I think it makes sense from Notre Dame's point. I, like I understand, like it seems it's a, it's tough pill to swallow. Like, okay, we can never get a bye in the college football playoff. Um, like that, that's tough. Um, I, I, to me, you got, I guess, what, what were the alternatives? Like if they don't agree to this, like, um, I, I imagine it could be more punitive against Notre Dame than that. Um, so yeah, I like the trade off of not having to play a conference championship game and instead playing a first round playoff appearance. It seems like a fair trade to me. Um, I think you'd rather get in the playoff m- more years because I think this is what this will allow Notre Dame to get in the playoff more years than it would in a normal Fourteen playoff, um, then earning a buy once every however many years. Like, how often do you think Notre Dame was going to get a buy if it had being in a conference, like having to play Clemson in the ACC championship regularly? Or, and obviously, it's not always going to be Clemson. And by the time the playoff happens, it might not be Clemson. Might not be the powerhouse anymore. But um, you want it. It gives the opp- it gives Notre Dame an opportunity to win more playoff games. It might be harder to win a national championship, but it. it wasn't an easy path to begin with, as we've seen. Um, I mean, just just take last year. Like, if Notre Dame didn't beat Clemson in November, Notre Dame, in order to win the national championship, would have had to beat Clemson in the ACC championship game and then beat two of the top four teams in the country after that. So is that harder than a three-game playoff run? I think it might have be. been. Um, I would say, like, having to beat Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama last year to win the title – are they going to have to play that difficult a schedule in a 12-team playoff field? 
maybe. I mean, there is a possibility that that's the case, but it might it might actually be a little bit easier than that. So, um, well, and the chances are Notre Dame is going to have a home game. Can you imagine, you know, being a SEC team and having to come up to South Bend in December <laughs> to play a playoff game. That's going to be, that's going to be culture shock. Yeah. Um, that's, it's, it's, it's Notre Dame's payback for never getting, being able to convince them to come up here in November for games. <laughs> they always have to play in September whenever they do convince them to come up here. But now they're like, well, you're going to have to come up here in December potentially if we, if we, uh, if we get our spots in the playoffs. Yeah. I, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, you would think that having a bye is going to be an advantage, but I can remember because I'm old. You know, <laughs> before the um, before the NCAA men's tournament went to 69 or whatever it is now. Before they went to 64, they were at 48, and the teams that got the buys sometimes there was a disproportionate number of them losing. And the thought was, well, they're not into the flow. You know, they they kind of got their lost their timing. I don't know that it'll work that way with football, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And again, yeah. if, you're, if you're number five, you're playing the twelve, and right. that ought to be a game that you can win, and maybe you can get some, you know, some of the kinks out or whatever, and get ready then. To yeah, play. get some momentum, get some confidence, and yeah. Um, yeah, I think – I mean, I think people – Your next are, game is against four. You're not playing one next. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I think people are going to – probably. I, I, people are, like, criticizing, well, this is, isn't going to make it harder for Alabama to win a national championship. But I, w- what playoff scenario makes it harder for Alabama to win a championship? I, I don't know. Does one exist? I don't I – don't, I don't, it well, seems like – it doesn't seem like something that exists, in my opinion. I mean, if you're a good program – you, and you can beat most teams you play that you're going to be in a position to win national championships. That's uh, well, obviously there's, I think, I think leveling the playing field isn't going to come from the playoff format. It's going to come somewhere else. If I don't know. And I don't know what that is, whether it's some sort of scholarship reduction or this NLI stuff, if, or NIL stuff, if that, if that changes things, but um, I don't think, I don't think the playoff was ever going to sort of make the best teams worse or make it harder for the best teams to win titles. Well, I think there's some, I mean, when you just look at recruiting in, in this cycle and what kids are saying, Notre Dame making the playoff is making a difference to some kids in terms right. of how they view Notre Dame. And right now, I'm, Jack Swerber threw this number out in the press conference that we had a little bit earlier. 78% of the participants in the playoff to this point have been five teams, have come from five teams. Right. And so you want to expand at least the participation of who's in the playoff. And so and and one other thing to mention is this will not go into effect until 2023 at the earliest. Right. That's earlier than what the original contract had allowed for. So, yeah. Uh, so the next two years. Here, here's the other thing. You look at some of Notre Dame's future schedules. In 20, okay, let's look at 2023. They play Ohio State and Clemson in the regular season that year. Let's say they lose both and lose respectably, respect, respectably, <laughs> then they would still be in the hunt to be in that 12 team field. Right. Otherwise, they would be probably out of the playoff, even with an 18 playoff being one of two at large teams. So, 
yeah. I like this. The more that I, it's the, it's kind of like, um, you know, a fine wine. The more I sip on it, the more I think I kind of like it. Yeah. And, and maybe, yeah, maybe we're just drinking the Kool-Aid too, but like people are worried about the regular season. It's like, well, if, if there's more teams that have a chance to make the playoff, aren't, aren't, aren't the, isn't the end of the regular season going to matter more? That's, um, that's one of the reasons that Jack threw out that 78% number. And then the season wasn't mattering as much. Like I, I get that 12 teams like water set, like Notre Dame making the playoff when it's a 14 playoff is much more impressive than it is when it's making a 12 team playoff. But Notre Dame also isn't necessarily going to get smoked <laughs> against Alabama or Clemson in, in the playoff. If they're a five seed playing a 12, or even if they're a 12 playing against a five, I think those games are probably going to be more competitive in the first round than some of those one versus four matchups that we've seen, or even the two versus three matchups haven't been competitive. So I think there, there's a chance that these games are more competitive. Now, if a 12 gets through and, and ends up playing against the one seed, maybe that's not going to be pretty, but that 12 seed will have earned that, that, that matchup against the one seed. So um, I'm interested. I'm excited about it. Hopefully I, I understand the hesitation, but I, I would just always ask like, oh, okay, what's the better plan here? I, I think, there's plenty of flaws with like the regular season matter. Like there's plenty of games of the regular season that people don't care about. And like, this isn't going to change that. And there's not, there's not going to be anything you can do to change that. The teams that aren't, that aren't in the running, those games aren't going to matter no matter what. So why not make more teams in the running? All right. Uh, a few more questions. I know we got a bit of a marathon going on here. Uh, n- another one from uh, Bert Leonard at Bert two, eight, three, four. Will the women's basketball team make the tournament this year? Why or why not? Well, they almost made it last year. I mean, they were they were on the bubble of making it last year. I think they're going to be healthier. They're going to be deeper. They're going to be more talented. I mean, they're adding more talent. They didn't lose much. They're not going to make a run until they get more elite size. You know, when I say a run, a deep run into the tournament, they they are guard heavy and they have lots of talented guards. And I think Niel's going to figure it out, but. Uh, they need to get some elite post players, elite forwards. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have a ton of insight to the women's basketball team in June, to be honest, but I will say yes, just because three years without Notre Dame in the women's basketball tournament seems too long. So that's, well, that's, everybody missed it in 2020. <laughs> that's my, uh, that's my thoughts. Um, well, next one is from, uh, Mike at KYND fan, when will this Bitcoin fad be over? I don't know if uh, what kind of cryptocurrency insight you have for us, Eric, but uh, people wanted to throw some some oddball questions at us, which I, I don't always disagree with. I, I like uh, mixing it up a little bit, as long as we're not getting too serious sometimes. Fortunately, I'm neither smart or rich enough to have an opinion <laughs> about this because I really don't understand. I don't really understand it. I know that that um, the people that got paid for ransomware for the Colonial Pipeline were paid in cryptocurrency, and somehow the FBI was able to recover some of that money. So I would say, you know, for people that are doing ransomware, maybe the you know Bitcoin uh, era is over. How's that for a contribution to that question? I like it. I like it. Um... I I have some thoughts. I don't know if they're well informed or not, but um, I, I think uh, <laughs> which is always a good way to start an answer to a question. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's basically means don't listen to him. That's what my bi- Twitter bio should say. 
Um, I, I, I think it'll be like Tony LaRusso at the end of the game. <laughs> uh, I think it'll be here for some time because people think they can make money off of it. Uh, I'm guessing there will probably be different fads in terms of the types of cryptocurrencies going in and out. I'm not personally, I'm not convinced that it's worth the investment at this point. Um, to me, I, I, this is probably the part that may offend people that are really into cryptocurrency, but I compare it to like the pyramid schemes that so many people try to get convinced to try. Like they've, and the, the whole premise is sort of built on try, convincing people that investing in cryptocurrencies makes you a smarter person than someone that's investing in like traditional markets. Whereas like, I feel like if you're investing in uh, these different pyramid schemes, whether you're selling Tupperware or you're selling essential oils. Um, <laughs> Wait a second. Tupperware is a pyramid scheme. I, I think, I think all of those things are that they, when they make you buy in and then try to get you to sell it to your friends, that's, that's a pyramid scheme in my opinion. Um, and so there oh, are. Just buy it at Martin's. Well, no, yeah, that's, I mean, I think this is, I don't think this Tupperware is still a, a pyramid scheme. There, there are different products now that are on to the pyramid schemes. Uh, and maybe Tupperware never was. Um, I, I, I think that there have been other products that have been across the years. I know um, there's these, uh, just, I'm just decimating potential uh, ad revenues for our podcast, but I think there's like, uh, I can't, there's like some sort of like towel company that I think, I know there's like clothing companies that when you're my age, you see all kinds of, people on Facebook, like hawking all these products. And there's even like uh, weight loss products and you got to get your friends to do it and that'll, that'll, you'll make money off it. To me, that's, that's, to me, that's what Bitcoin and all these cryptocurrencies are right now. So I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced that it's a way you're going to make money now. Can some make money, people make money off it? Yeah, sure. But I, I don't know that it's any more safe or better or a uh, better uh, money making scheme than others that are already out there. So <laughs> All right, uh, last one. Owl um, pyramid scheme. <laughs> I'm telling you, Eric. I know you. D- you have a very hate, uh, a hot passion uh, of dislike for Facebook. Um, if you were my age, I think you would like it even less. Um, so, the last one we got is from at Mikey Galve, and he asked us to compare current Notre Dame players to tacos. And he his suggestions were: Is Kyle Hamilton the carne asada? Is Jarrett Patterson the salsa can play anywhere, fill in where necessary? And he said, I'm hoping Chris Tyree can be the spicy jalapeno. You know, I'm going to defer to Tyler on this because all this taco talk is making me hungry. (laughs) I've probably thought about this more than I should, although I don't know that I completed it and and got to all the toppings that I wanted to. I sort of try to build like what I would want as a taco. Now, I think – I gave you different meat options and I may be cheating. I didn't go with specific players for some of these. I went with position groups, um, but let's start with the shell. The shell is Kyron Williams. Clearly he holds everything together without him. Everything's becomes a bit of a mess, but you can like the taco ingredients will still taste good together if they're not in a shell. So you can still have a good team without Kyron Williams, but it's just not as, it's not as, as well put together without him. Uh Let's talk about some ground beef. I, so I got three meat options for you here. You can choose which, whatever one you want. I, I, I said the offensive line were, were the equivalent to ground beef. Um, it's a staple of a successful taco. You can have good tacos um, that don't have ground beef, but it's hard to have a terrible taco with ground beef. So at least that's at least my, my person. So it's hard to have a terrible team if you have a good offensive line. So that's why I compare the offensive line to ground beef. Now, steak. 
is the defensive line. It's an upgrade in the meat department. I hope you're enjoying this, Eric. And maybe it'll, maybe it'll trigger your brain. Maybe you'll come up with some suggestions. I can't wait to see who, who's brisket. <laughs> I excluded brisket this time around. But uh, the defensive line uh, has more depth and can open up more avenues. Well, the steak can open up more avenues, in my opinion, to a good taco. Just like a good defensive line can open up more opportunities for linebackers in the secondary. Um, another uh, topping or meat option would be chicken. And I compare chicken to the quarterback room. A great chicken taco can be amazing, but an overcooked chicken taco can be a bad experience. So I think there's a wide range of outcomes for Notre Dame's quarterback room this year. Um, so they are the chicken of a, of a, of a chicken taco. Um, for the cheese, I, I put Drew White on there. I think uh, you can get by without a Drew White. You don't need cheese on a taco, but I think Whoa. A, 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 a good – most good tacos have, have cheese on there. Um, but I think uh, – and most good defenses have a good linebacker in the middle of it, so I put Drew White there. Um, as for the sour cream, I put Kevin Austin as the sour cream um, because I think, I think Kevin Austin – uh, I, I like sour cream on mine, but if you have bad sour cream and your sour cream's expired, that would be bad. So I think you got to hope that Kevin Austin and his potential as a wide receiver isn't expired. So that's why Kevin Austin is the sour cream. Um, lettuce, I think, is just sort of the standby. I think everyone sort of accepts lettuce on a taco. You can't get rid of lettuce. It's just always around. That's Kurt Heinisch. He's always, he's always around the team. You can't get rid of him. He's not leaving. Kurt Heinisch is the lettuce. Um, cilantro. I like cilantro on tacos. Some people can take it or leave it. I think it's an undervalued topping on tacos. Um, some people really dislike, um, cilantro. They don't like the taste of it. Um, so Jonathan door is the cilantro, uh, of, of the Notre Dame football team. Uh, he could be undervalued. It can bring you a lot of reward, but you also might really dislike him if he misses an important, uh, field goal. Last one I got is the hot sauce and that's Kyle Hamilton. Um, it can really just elevate the taco to another level, bring some spice and make the taco a real difference maker. So Kyle Hamilton is the hot sauce on this uh, metaphorical taco that I've put together here. And so if this doesn't win us a podcast award, Eric, I don't know what will um, with this last 10 minutes of me rambling about tacos and, and football players. So I hope uh, people enjoyed this or have turned this off before it got to the bad part. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. You're lucky I didn't turn it off. (laughs) Uh, That's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. We were gone for a long time, so we made you listen to us for a long time. Uh, If you don't subscribe to us already, find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like what you hear, shoot us some stars and leave a review. We will be back who knows when. Maybe we'll get another one in in June before Eric gets some well-deserved vacation. If not, um, I may put together a podcast with uh, a special guest co-host instead of Eric while, while he's away. But we'll see how, how, news, uh, how the news unfolds this month and if we can find the time to record another podcast. But we appreciate everyone listening and uh, talk to you next time.